Last spring, with the Children and Youth Deepening Committee, we thought a lot about what happens in United Parish in the summer. And we, know, we knew that a lot of our families tend to um, evaporate <laughs> for three months during the summer, and we don't see them. And we thought about, well, what's the impact of that on kids, that, that they have church and God and Jesus in their lives for nine months of the year, but not during the summer months. And we thought about ways we could reinforce that when they weren't here. So from that came the Flat Jesus Project. We, we gave families uh, cutouts of Jesus, and we invited the families to take to have their kids color them, and then take Jesus with them wherever they went, and to send us pictures. And we expected to get pictures of Jesus going to the beach, or maybe grandma and grandpa's house, or maybe summer camp. What we didn't anticipate is how much the adults in our community would get into this. <laughs> I have to say that Barbara Lynch, is she here? gets the award for the best dressed Jesus. Her Jesus wore tricorn hats, Texas boots, and cowboy hats, and I can't even think of all the costumes she dressed her Jesus in. She must have loved paper dolls as a little girl. That's all I can think of. All the pictures are posted out here in Marion Street Lobby if you want to check them out. Uh, Flat Jesus racked up some frequent flyer miles. He went to China twice. Canada, and all throughout New England and the southwest part of the United States. He explored higher education and went on college visits. So when I was packing for pilgrimage, I thought, why not take Flat Jesus with us? And it was sort of representational of what we were trying to do. We were trying to go out to Steubenville, Ohio, and share with the people there and to share Christ and our love and our church and, and everything else. So it seemed to make a lot of sense to us. So in the next few minutes, you're going to hear stories of just what we did and the people we got to share flat Jesus with while we were there. On day three, we met our pilgrimage grandfather. Marin, Diana, Zephyr, and I were all working in the warehouse, but when guiding people through the aisles of the grocery store-esque food pantry got a bit tedious, we split up and took turns separating and sorting food upstairs with a man named Jack. We knew of him already because the day before, he had given Jenna a day's worth of marriage advice. <laughs> but we did not yet know how generous he is and how much he tries to do whatever he can to take care of whoever he meets. As soon as he learned our names, he made an effort to get to know us and told us all about himself as well. He boasted to us about having been married for 65 years and described to us his beautiful and wonderful wife, Florence. Later, while the four of us, plus Jenna and Deanna, ate lunch with Jack, he showed us pictures of her and of his great-grandchildren. He also told us his life story starting with leaving home at 16, getting married, and working two jobs so his wife wouldn't have to work at all. 
This wasn't because he didn't want her to work, he simply felt that she shouldn't have to, and as we came to find out, he would much rather do a little extra to help the people around him than to do something for himself. Jack told us stories about his granddaughter, Melissa, who had Down syndrome and passed away at the age of 16, but had an absolutely wonderful life and was constantly happy. He and his wife and daughter have since created a charity in memory of Melissa, and they host events every year to raise awareness about Down syndrome and money for the charity. He told us that he has also been volunteering at the food pantry for a very long time and has spent more than 200 hours there working and talking to people. Even though he already does so much to help the community, he was still eager to know if Miss Joyce in the kitchen of the church across the parking lot would need any help cooking or serving lunch soon. Since I'm back to talking about food, Jack brought two sodas and a bag of chip and a bag of chips to lunch for us to have. And when there were six of us, he apologized for not bringing more, even though we had not expected him to bring anything for us at all. Then he pointed out a large table and stacks of boxes, all filled with nail polish. We were, he told us to take as much as we wanted, and we were skeptical at first, but he described to us how unbelievably slow people would move through the lines when they had to pick out exactly the right color of nail polish from a whole table full of tiny bottles. He had found a little construction project in a box that he thought we might like to put together, so he gave us that too. A few hours later, I found out it was a one-hole mini-golf game, and I actually did need a hammer to put it together, which was pretty exciting. <laughs> in addition to Jack being very generous, he made an effort to get to know us and watch out for us as much as he could in that one day. He asked us about our lives and really listened. He asked about school and told us to make sure we didn't get involved with the kids who do bad things. Or, and he didn't want us carrying heavy boxes because we might hurt our backs and never heal. Of course, we did that anyway, but it was nice to know that he was concerned. He tried to connect with us, and at some point, Zephyr told him she was going to post the pictures of them. So when I came back from helping people find their way through the maze of shelves of cans again, he was very proud to announce that he was going to be on FacePage. <laughs> when we left, Jack hugged us all and teared up and told us not to marry any jerks. <laughs> the one thing that I found most interesting about Jack, however, was what he wants when he is no longer living. He told us that he's very sure that he does not want to be buried, does not want a gravestone or anything in memorial of him. This confused me at first, but he explained that he doesn't want people visiting him when he can no longer talk to them or see them. He said if people want to visit him, if they want to see him, they should do it while they can actually see him, while he's alive. And once he's gone, that's it. He's gone. What he said made a lot of sense to me, but it was very surprising because most of his beliefs were so traditional, and this was something I had never heard before or never thought about. Like his other stories, it reminded me that different people's lives and thoughts are not all the same. This may seem obvious, but it's something I think we all often forget, and it's very important for us to think about sometimes, at least a little bit. This was written by Diana Pierre, who could not be here today, but asked that we read this for her. During our pilgrimage, we met several inspirational people, and one of those people was Miss Joyce. She was a big part of the community. Miss Joyce was in charge of the soup kitchen that happened three times a week for the whole year. 
She was very passionate about giving to and feeding the community. She would season the food the night before, wake up bright and early to make the meal, welcome the people that, who came, pray over the food, and make sure everyone had a full belly. Overall, she would continue this process of gratitude and sharing the word of the Lord. Being around her made me feel awakened. It felt as if I wasn't accomplishing enough by helping everyone and being happy. But she showed us that by helping the community, you're also helping yourself. She showed us that God is within all of us, and by loving him, joy will enter your heart. Before I start, I just want to thank United Parish for their support, both financially and spiritually, for this trip. It was my first real mission trip or pilgrimage of any kind with the church, and it was an immensely powerful and valuable experience for me. Each group that travels to Steubenville to work with the Joshua Project is sponsored by a local church in order to provide a sort of church home for this group traveling from far away. We were sponsored by the Wintersville United Methodist Church. Wintersville is the town next door to Steubenville. And I didn't know about this connection going in, but it was really nice to have that spiritual connection while we were on our mission. Our first morning of work that Monday, we, the church provided breakfast for us, cooked by some of the older ladies in the church. It was quintessential Midwestern hospitality. I'm pretty sure the main ingredients in the breakfast were butter, cream, and cheese. <laughs> it, was, it was hard to work after a breakfast like that, but it was a really wonderful way to feel welcome to this community. And later in the week, we went back to the church that Thursday night, and the youth group in the church prepared the meal for us. They cooked it, they prepared it, and they served it to us, which was really, really cool. And one of our members had a dietary restriction they didn't know about ahead of time, but they made an effort to make her a meal and turn it around immediately to ensure that everyone was fed. It was really cool to me to see our kids eating with their youth group and communing as not Massachusetts kids and Ohio kids, but as high schoolers in a church, talking from everything from high school life to their church life, everything in between. The adults sat at our own table, let the kids do their thing. We sat with our youth director, Tara, who has told us about her life and her spiritual journey. She grew up in Steubenville in the Wintersville area, and her spiritual journey took her to North Carolina where she met her husband who was working in a youth, youth ministry there, but felt called to go back to Steubenville in Wintersville and do her work there. In addition to the warmth and the openness they showed us, it was really neat for me seeing their power and love for their community. They're going through a tough time in, Steuben, in the Steubenville area, but people still opened their doors to us, made us feel welcome, and showed us their love and pride in their community. It was neat communing with our Methodist brothers and sisters around the nation. While we didn't discuss church policy or theology, it was very cool seeing the ideas of our gathering ministry put to work in another church. They really opened their doors to us, made us feel welcome. And it made me think about what we as United Parish can do in our community to share these blessings both day-to-day, -day, in church, and to groups traveling to the Boston area. Their warmth, love, and care made a huge difference for me, and I want to see how we as a church can pay that forward in our day-to-day -day lives. So you may have noticed a theme here. We flew to Steubenville to share Flat Jesus with them, but what happened was that they actually did a lot of sharing with us. We flew there to touch lives, and instead our lives were touched also. It's kind of like blowing soap bubbles. You know, sometimes you blow them and they, they 
go up where you intend them to go, but then other times it kind of pops back in your face and your face gets covered. And this was really evident also in our time of evening devotionals. We came together each night because sometimes our groups were on separate projects. So we came together just to kind of decompress and debrief. Uh, we saw some, some pretty incredible things. Um, a verbal fight broke up in the soup kitchen one day um, that I think shocked all of us. And uh, for about 15 minutes, there was a baby by itself in the soup kitchen, and we all kept looking for the parent, and the parent was nowhere to be found. And, you know, I was just thinking, do we call the police? What do we do? And then the parent showed up. So, so we were witness to some things that we just weren't really used to here in Brookline. So coming together at night was a chance for us to talk about those things and get our emotions out. One of the things that happened uh, that was just beautiful is that uh, Kent arranged for prayer partners in this congregation for all of us who were there in Steubenville. And I'd like to invite you, if you are a prayer partner, please stand up. Is everybody standing? These letters that were Kent, <laughs> you were a prayer partner. <laughs> This was his idea, and, and to get these letters from home, especially on tough days when we'd been out in awful heat and humidity working really hard, and we'd seen some things that we didn't know how to process, to know that these people were here praying for us was incredible, and your letters meant so much. So thank you, thank you, and you can sit now, because you're probably really embarrassed. Um, we also journaled a lot, and I, I was looking through my journal, and there were a couple of things that stood out to me that I wanted to share with you that were the bubbles popping back in my face. Uh, we had an extra spot on our team because um, David, unfortunately, had to have surgery right before the trip. So we were going to Ohio, and we knew about this project in particular because of Deanna Baker, who is from Ohio, and her father is a Methodist pastor there. So with the extra spot that was paid for, Deanna's father slipped into the trip. And he told me, you know, I thought I was going to end up spending some time with my daughter, quality time, that would be fun. But he said he found himself wrestling with some issues from his own pastoral ministry while he was there, something he never anticipated. There was also somebody we met whose name was Keith. And Miss Joyce, who ran the soup kitchen, told Keith's story, part of Keith's story to us. She told us that when he first came, he intimidated and scared everybody there. He was a very, very large man. And he would only speak in grunts, which none of us who met him could believe because he was helping in the kitchen. He was phenomenal. He was kind. He was gentle. I couldn't imagine anybody being intimidated. Yes, he was big, but he just was not intimidating. And on the last day, when Miss Joyce was not there, he came in, and I have to preface this by saying, I really don't speak football, so this is, to me, it's a miracle that I could even process. I had to get some of the details from Jacob. Um, but he handed us all these little slips of paper towel. And inside, he shared with us that he was a running back for the University of Nebraska. And this little red piece of cloth is a piece of his jersey from the game where he scored his first touchdown. And so when Joyce came back in the kitchen, we shared the story about how 
Keith had given all of us these little scraps from his uniform, and her jaw dropped to the floor. She said she had no idea he'd ever played football, that he'd been at the University of Nebraska, or that he'd scored a touchdown. So this was one of those times where I thought, wow, we obviously touched something in, in Keith that he would share this with us, but he touched something in all of us, and I now keep his little uniform scrap in my tri tra travel Bible, and I hope I treat it as reverently as I should. So being in the hands of Christ as we had hoped as we went out to Steubenville, it kind of sounds like a lofty, exciting thing. But really what happens is that our own transformation, as you probably heard from these stories, and you're not done hearing about them yet, are even better and more exciting. So I'm going to put a pad of paper down here on the communion table with a pen. And I'm going to invite anybody who's interested and perhaps doing a trip like this, going back to Steubenville next summer, because all of us are really hoping to go back, right? That's what we decided when we were there. Go ahead and write your name down, and we'll be in touch with you and see if we can't get another trip going for next summer. Sorry, one more thing. And the hymn we're about to sing was actually the hymn that was um, sung with us when they blessed us in Diana's father's church on the Sunday that we worshiped with them. <laughs> 